about the scriptures. You don't have a Bible, they have one for you. We're in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians 6. Raise your hand, they'll give you a Bible. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep it. We just ask that you read it. Yesterday on our cul-de-sac, we had a bunch of families do a cul-de-sac-wide garage sale. I always thought a garage sale was where you take junk that you're going to throw out, and you, want, you say, well, you give me a buck for it. If you don't, I'll throw it out. Man, that kind of a garage sale? I've come to realize with my neighbors that it's a business. And uh, it's about 10, 10% under retail. And my poor boy, he went down the street, to, he had $20 in his pocket, which was the first mistake. I didn't go with him, which was the second mistake. He goes down to a neighbor that has always given him some grief. The boys have always been it, it, odd. And, anyways, uh, if they're here, I hope you enjoyed your last service. <laughs> but but I, my boy came back with this god-awful poster, like Hawaii with whales and and I wouldn't have given 50 cents for it. I go, son, uh, uh, first of all, we, we don't know where we're going to put that other than trash can. But uh, how much did you pay for that? She said it was $20, Dad. Aww. My boy's 11. They, just, they took him for 20 bucks. They didn't even pay 20 bucks for that when it was new. And I thought, I'm going down there and I'm going to give him a piece of my... No, I'm not. And so it was interesting. We spent the day. I gave my boy a $20 lesson. In, in generosity and giving and wisdom. Is, we're stewards of God's money. We're stewards. It's not ours, it's his. We're to be wise. I said, son, you have a, a, a painting, and not even a painting, you have a poster, and, and what could you have done with the $20? And we kind of went through that. For him, he walked away with a very valuable lesson, and God redeemed it. God has a way of doing that, Right? Now, the Bible says if you cause one of these, the least of these to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the deepest ocean. So I hope they enjoy the 20 bucks. That's all I'm saying. That's a little hard. All right, let's get into the word because... All right, we're in Galatians 6. Before you stand, let me say this. Galatians, uh, it's, a, it's an epistle letter written to all the churches in the region of Galatia, which is in today modern-day Turkey. Paul planted these churches, uh, this, this move of grace upon, upon the world, and they'd been under the law, they'd been under oppression, and now God's doing this amazing work. And, and now, as these churches are established, by grace you've been saved, by faith, uh, not, not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now these Judaizers come in, they're saying, well, yeah, it's all fine and well what Paul's teaching, but if you really want to be a Christian, a true Christian, you need to observe the <clears throat> dietary Levitical laws, you need to observe the Sabbath, you need to be circumcised, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to. And we've gone through this, we've covered it in its entirety. If you're behind a little bit, just listen to some of the messages online. But Paul has dismissed all that. He's dispelled all those myths that, that we, all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. And, and um, the legalism, it's a relationship with the Lord. It's not this idea of legalism. We, we observe the law not, because, not in order to be saved. We observe the law because we are saved. But also, uh, we're not under the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And, and it's permissible. 
And, and so um, in this passage of Scripture, Paul lays that down to, to give them freedom. And, and uh, in this day and age, we keep thinking that freedom's going to come through the increase in laws upon our land. If, if, we can, if we can make more laws for gun control, we're going to be safer. No, we won't be. It just means that <clears throat> a certain segment will have the guns and another segment won't. But the problem is the segment that has the guns, who's to say they're not bad? The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, they're law enforcement. They're going to... I don't know about you, I've seen some pretty crazy law enforcement folks, not in our fellowship. (laughs) And by the way, I want to commend, want to talk about our public servants. Firefighters nailed it this week, didn't they? Let's give them a round of applause. (laughs) Nailed it. But with with this idea of, of thinking freedom comes through laws, Paul says, no, no, no. And so he's concluding this epistle. We've gone through the whole study of it. I, for, personally, for me, it's been encouraging, especially in this day and age, to try to sort it all out. And now he's wrapping up the letter, and, um, and he's, he's going to talk about something. Uh, you know, we're not under the law, but he's going to talk about something that pertains to the law, in a sense. And he says, um, you know, you have these Judaizers coming in, and they've got, they've got a reason. They're coming in to milk you for money, and they want to control you. He says, but even in that respect, you still have a responsibility to take care of your shepherds and to take care of the flock and the fellowship. And, and he points this out. And it's one of these passages as a pastor. I hate teaching. I just, I hate it. And the Lord will testify to it. I don't enjoy it. And it almost seems self-serving when you hear the passage that we're going to read this morning. It almost seems self-serving. As a, as a matter of fact, even Martin Luther felt as though the passage itself is difficult for ministers to teach. I'll give you a quote in a moment. Um, but nevertheless, this is where we are. We teach the whole counsel of God's word. As uncomfortable as it is, I still have to teach it. And so I will. And so, you ready? Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, written by the hand of the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning with verse 6. We left off at 5 last week. Verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So you're being taught, I'm the teacher, empty your pocketbooks right now, and then I'm going home. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't funny. I thought it would be funnier. (laughs) Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith, which means ministers, us, me. All right, we got it? Let's pray. Lord, I ask your blessing on the study of your word. An interesting passage that I am required to teach, one that really, quite frankly, God appears to be self-serving. But it is your word. We trust you for what you desire to do through it. And I pray your blessing, Lord, and your wisdom. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, we pray. We thank you, God, for this fellowship. 
I declare before your throne of grace, and you can testify, you can bear witness to my heart that I am, in my estimation, the best cared for pastor on the face of the earth. And so, Lord, I want to publicly testify to you and thank you for the fellowship that you've entrusted as an under-shepherd to me. Lord, thank you for blessing me with such a generous, faithful body of believers. Bless them now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And so obviously you're being taught, I'm teaching. You're to share in all good things. And the, the clarity of that in its original language and the intent of it is financially. The scripture speaks of financial support. It's focused on financial support, but however, it's not limited to it. It is focused on financial support, but not limited to it. And there are a variety of interpretations of Paul's words But the most common is um, this. It says uh, simply, share in the sense of active giving and all good things in the sense of physical goods with those who instruct you. And you can see this idea of giving and the words used um, throughout the New Testament. There's there's an emphasis on, on physical support. Physical support. Lightfoot translates it in this sense. He says, uh, this is a translation he uses. I spoke of bearing one another's burdens. There's one special application I would make of this rule. Provide for the temporal needs of your teachers in Christ. Um, You know, the Bible says that God will meet my needs in the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. It's an interesting place to be as a minister because my income comes from your, your faithful returning of God's tithe and, and your faithfulness to God's command. That's how I survive. Some would think, well, I tithe, so I'm your boss. No, you're not. That's the other strange thing. God's my boss. You, you in a sense, are responsible for my paycheck, but I'm accountable to God. Some of you are going, I just don't think that's a fair deal. I do. No, but it's, it's one of those things. He's a tough boss. He's a tough boss. If I'm not doing his bidding and not doing what he's asking me to do, the fellowship dwindles. Support decreases. God's in control of it. And, and he operates in that context. But I, I was thinking, I love the quote what Martin Luther said. He says, passages like this can be awkward for the preacher. Martin Luther wrote, these passages are all meant to benefit us ministers. I must say, I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit, yet these passages are important, and they are important. Um, The right relationship between teacher and those being taught or minister and congregation is one of koinonia, fellowship, or partnership. So Paul writes, let him who is taught the word share koinonieto, all good things with him who teaches. It isn't payment, it's sharing. It's not payment, it's sharing, it's koinonia. And so Paul repeats this principle in several other places in Scripture, primarily in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul's saying that's what supplies us, that we would be set free to teach. 
1 Corinthians 9, 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, some would translate that as double honor. You take the immediate income of the Conejo Valley, uh, Ventura County, and you multiply it by two, and that's what the pastor's salary should be. And I love those people. I think that they are amazing. No, I'm just kidding. But this idea of double honor is, is... I worked at a congregational church for years where it was very apparent that the pastor was a hireling, not a shepherd. And they felt as though it was their job to keep the pastor humble through poverty. And, and, it, and it, was, it was one of those things where the trustees ran the money and they let the pastor know that. Now, I've got to tell you, the Calvary Chapel mosaic style of leadership where uh, I'm, I'm not a hireling, I'm a shepherd, there can be abuses to that. But I have to say, since 1967, considering the rapid growth over 10, 10,000% with Calvary Chapels, the number of churches that have had issues is, is minuscule compared to the expansive growth that it's, it's experienced and the disciples that it's created and the, and the missionaries around the world and what has transpired as a result of that. And, uh, you know, you consider such rapid growth, there, there's got to be birth pangs and growing pains, and yet uh, the, the church itself is fairly healthy. And the concept that especially Chuck Smith pointed out is that if you trust the pastor with rightly dividing the word of truth, you're going to trust him with the money. But in the same regard, there's accountability. And so I have accountability. There's a, an elder group of 15 elders, each uh, operating in three-year terms, five are on a three-year term. There's five that have two years remaining on their three-year term, and there's five that have one year remaining on their three-year term. And then when those five come off, um, we, we are required to bring on two new elders who've never served before, and we can bring on three elders who have served for a total of five, but it's mandatory that we bring on two who've never served to keep it fresh. I think it's one of the best sets of bylaws I've ever seen in a church, and, and I commend Mike Balikian and, and uh, um, Scott Nave for putting that together. Those guys just, it was just such a blessing to see it. And Aaron White also participated in that. Uh, these are three Christian attorneys, and uh, those two words can go together. <laughs> They're good men. They're good men. And so with that picture, Paul's just saying that, that there's a responsibility from the body to share in koinonia in the support of their shepherds. Uh, Luke 16, 11, if you trust them with your spiritual health, you should also trust them to steward the gifts of God's people, which you can see in that parable in Luke 16. Now, all that I point out because um, in this passage of Scripture, as, as we're going through it, Paul is, is declaring uh, to the church that we're to share in all good things with those who teach. And, and that is that idea that you supply my income. You supply Pastor Marty's income, Pastor Brett's income, uh, Pastor Tony's income. You supply that. You do that by your tithing. Tithing. People say tithing is not a New Testament principle. I wholeheartedly disagree with you and do not believe that your position is scriptural. I believe that tithing was established long before the law was ever given, as I have declared with Abraham and also with Jacob. 
450 years before the Levitical law, Abraham tithed. 400 years before Levitical law, Jacob tithed. Jesus speaks of it in Hebrews chapter 7. He doesn't dismiss it, as many would say that, that he does in Hebrews 7. To the contrary, he's speaking of, of, a, of a priesthood. He's not speaking of dismissing tithing. He even talks of tithing. And, and Hebrews is a very clear picture of it. I would say this to you. You'd say, well, we're not under the law. I understand that. I understand that. Does that mean now that we can all commit adultery? Well, we're not under the law, praise God, amen? Let's just go do it. Hey, what do you say? Woo! No, 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 we observe the law, yeah? All things are permissible, not all things are profitable. Can you commit adultery and still go to heaven? Yeah, sure you can. Yep, yep. You're not going to have much of a testimony. The effectiveness of your ministry is severely diminished. But yeah, you can go to heaven. Can you commit murder and still go to heaven? Yes. yes, yes. But thou shalt not commit murder. So in that sense, grace overcomes the law. But we observe the law not to be saved, but we observe the law because we are saved. And the principle of tithing, a tenth, is a very clear principle. And the principle of first fruits is very clear. And, and there's only two things that you can do. Only two things you can do with a tithe. Either return it or steal it. Because everything you have belongs to God. And as a Christian, we recognize that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. What do you have that God hasn't first given you? And it is an act of faith. We operate in the context of faith. That the first fruits, the firstborn, all of those things are given to God. And then the other 90% is blessed. And so when we come to a place where he says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I have news for you that it costs money to operate this fellowship. Now, some of you enjoy the teaching. You like to come on a Sunday. You enjoy the music. You enjoy laughing. You enjoy the coffee and the donuts and the things that are available to you and the context you have in the business world. And it's a pleasant place on a Sunday and you don't have much else to do. But the concept of tithing, forget it. Forget it. I, yeah, I might tip God and throw him a little something here and there, but I'm not tithing. I'm just not playing that game. Well, that's a lack of maturity. You're not operating in the maturity for which God has called you. The church operates in that capacity. If Christians tithed, if they were obedient to return that to God, which is rightfully his, there would be greater things we'd accomplish. And the principle of the tithe, and to let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, I'm to be set free to do that, not to have those concerns. I can rightly divide the word of truth. And, 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 and in that capacity, you're sharing in this koinonia, in that fellowship, and recognizing that we're all part of the body of Christ. And this is where we bear one another's burdens. And we saw last week, you, you bear burdens, you, 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 you can share a burden, you can shoulder a burden, and you can shed a burden. And we're required to do that. In this case, this is one of those areas where we share a burden. We share a burden. And we examine our life. We serve one another. And, and we don't serve mammon, we serve God. We're people of faith. Tithing requires faith. Why would you give 10% to a God you don't believe in? Now, I can see why you would withhold 10% for a God that you struggle believing in. But don't declare yourself to be mature in Christ and operating in a capacity, but yet you're withholding that which is rightfully His. You can only do two things with a tithe. Return it or steal it. 
And some of you would struggle, but that's the reality. That's the con- concept of it. That's what God desires. And, and he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap, uh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, let me tell you what tithing is not. Tithing is not, you know, pastor, I don't necessarily give financially a tenth of my income. I serve in different areas. I, I am a, a docent at the uh, Civic Arts Plaza, and I, and I, and I, and I. That's not tithing. Don't play that game. This is a financial transaction. You return it to the Lord. That doesn't apply. This is our declaration that it's all God's. I'm returning to him the tenth, so he blesses the remainder of it. And I'm going to show you a principle in a moment of multiplication, how God operates. But you can't say, well, my kids are in need, and I give them a little bit, and I throw some over here, and I throw some there. That's not tithing. That's called justifying, not tithing. That was a very uncomfortable laugh. You know, it it is the Lord's, but it's amazing how we can justify our indulgences and then our lack of obedience to his command. And God is saying, it begins in the house of faith first. You bring it to the storehouse. The tithe begins in the church, and beyond that, that's an offering. You return the tithe to the storehouse. That's the church. And the rest then is above and beyond. You can give to parachurch ministries. You can give to your family. You can give as a docent. You can do your time and your treasures and your talents. But financial approach to this is a tenth of your income. You say, was that before taxes or after taxes? It depends on what you want to be blessed on, the gross or the net. If you want less of a blessing, then do it on the, you know, the net. Or is it the gross? I always get that confused. <laughs> it's both gross to me. No. And so he emphasizes, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, in America, in the United States of America, we struggle with this idea of tithe because it's been so abused in the body of Christ. And I can testify as somebody who is sickened by it. That's why I don't like to teach on it. That's why I avoid it at all costs. Today, the text deals on it. I'm as uncomfortable as you are talking about it. I've experienced the abuse of it, and it's nauseating to me. I cannot listen to any more preachers on television. I'm sickened by it. I'm sickened by the lavish lifestyles. I'm sickened by the abuses of it. I, I don't like it at all. It bothers me. I, I, I've shared with you before the story about the woman who was, she had $32,000 to her name. She was compelled by somebody, I won't go into who it was, gave the $32,000 and didn't even pay for jet fuel or air conditioning on the doghouse that they have. And, and I'm left as a local pastor to minister to this woman who now has nothing. That's abuse. When I called back that ministry to tell them, they didn't return a penny of it. They don't care. Whatever prayer requests, a lot of them, Bob Tilton used to put the prayer requests in the dumpster. 
We've turned, we've turned the stick of God into such a huge thing to whack people with that we, we beat money out of them. I've never asked you for anything. I've never done a building fund. I've never done anything along those lines. I've never appealed to you because things are tight. That's not your deal. God's going to take care of that. I'm never worried about that. But I will say for your sake and maturity in Christ, this is you and the Lord to return it. It's a freedom aspect. It multiplies your faith. It increases the areas of your life where you grow in the things of God. I want to emphasize this teaching because it'll apply to this day that we have communion together. I want to turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9, an interesting story. I've been to the location where this took place, and uh, it's the feeding of what they call the 5,000. And we also find out in, in Matthew 14 that it wasn't just 5,000, uh, that was just the men who were counted. It was 5,000 families. So we're talking anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people were in the presence of Christ when he was teaching this, this, this lesson. And uh, in, in our initial reading of it, let me just read through it. And, uh, and, and you've heard the story probably a couple of times, but I, I've got an angle on it that I, as you step into the story, you put your mind into it. It's one of those things where I can almost see myself there. And, uh, and so I'm going to take you on that crazy trip that I have often in my brain, and you get to join with me. Okay, but let me read the story first. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told Jesus all that they had done. And then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. Okay, I'm good. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away... Everyone, let's, let's, let me, when the day began to wear away, let's say that together. When the day began to wear away, the 12 came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place here. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples, gave them to the disciples. Everyone say that, gave them to the disciples. One more time, gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. The story there, you know, they, uh, we, we see in another thing that the loaves and the fishes came from a little boy's lunch. We see there's, in Matthew 14, a couple other accounts, it was a little boy's lunch. And he had, he had two fish and, and, and four, uh, five loaves of bread. And it was, it's like, you know, you ever eat Long John Silver's? It's like their Long John Silver plate, right? And you get the two pieces of fish and the two breadsticks, but he got three extra pieces of bread in the breadsticks. 
And when Jesus was preaching, and, it, and he preached all day, by the way. He preached all day. And I had you guys repeat in this passage of Scripture when the day began to wear away. He, he, we had an 8 o'clock service. We had an 8 o'clock service this morning. Jesus began teaching out in this deserted place. People are gathered to him. He's preaching. He gets to the 8 o'clock service. It would be the equivalent of uh, we're candidating for a new minister. And the elders get together because, you know, my EKG didn't go well. And so they get a new minister. Sorry, that's not funny. And you guys, oh, that's awful. <laughs> Don't care. So is it started gathering, and the, the, the elders are kind of scoping this guy out to see how good he is. And he begins to preach at the 8 o'clock service. And they're looking at the time going, well, we got a parking lot issue, and this, is, this isn't good. He just preaches right through. And then people in that service come in. They're all standing. And then we're coming up to 1115. They're going, this guy's, we got to shut him up. I mean, this is a good sermon. Every, every message, one next to the other, is even better than the other. But it's, I mean, they're all, it's like a series. It's like a five-month series that he's doing in a day. And he's, he's preaching this whole series. And then the 11.15 service comes, and the 8 o'clock folks are exhausted. The 9.30 folks are exhausted. The 11.15 people couldn't find a parking space. They finally get here. Place is packed. And he's, he continues to preach. And, and it's, it's football season. And he's going through the morning games and the afternoon games. He's even cutting in on the late you know, Sunday game. It's the only one I usually get to catch if I skip prayer. And, and he, he, I, just, I don't do that. But he's going through all that. And it says, as the day, look at this, it says, it says, the day began to wear away. They're sick of him preaching. He's been preaching all day. And they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so finally, the, the disciples talk about it. And they go, what do we do? How do we stop him? And, and the inference of the scripture, especially in the other accounts, is that they interrupted him while he was preaching. And I don't know who the guy who was assigned to do it walks up and says, um, Hey, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, we need to shut this down. I mean, we need to give it a rest. But the way they decided to do it is they thought, you know, he's going to keep preaching. He loves people, and I think we can appeal to him because the people are hungry. And so he walks up and he says, uh, Lord, sorry to interrupt. It's getting late. The day is... It's, it's wearing away. <laughs> All a little tired. Great series. Great series. I mean, the entirety of it is my brain, stretch marks, full. Uh, it's just, uh, you know. Anywho, uh, thinking, however, maybe with the folks, it's late. They're hungry. Could we wrap it up? Maybe wrap this up a bit, let these folks get a bite to eat. Just wrap it up a little bit. What do you say? Jesus looks at him and says, you give him something to eat. So that disciple's like, well, that didn't work. Jesus keeps preaching. Disciple walks back to the other guys. What do you say? Why is he still preaching? What, what do you say? And he heard me and all, and he agreed they're hungry. Still talking, though, isn't he? <laughs> what did he say? Well, he said, uh, he said, we're supposed to give him something to eat. There's, there's 20,000 people here. 
A little boy comes through with his Long John Silver box. <laughs> Peter's like, give me that. <laughs> I'm the fisherman. <laughs> Scouring through it, because during you know, one of the breaks, the boy went to town and got it and brought back the fast food. And he's, okay, we got this. This is all we got. And one of the disciples goes, did you hear what you said? No, what did I say? What did I say? That's Peter. Dar, what did I say? And he said, you just gave us the answer to our dilemma, how we can get him to wrap it up. No more, what, what, what did I say? He said, this is all we have. Go show him what we have. He'll agree. There's not enough food. We got to let these people go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now he's got, the scripture says he has two fishes and five loaves, but it's actually two fishes, four loaves, and another loaf with about two bites from Peter. So he walks up, walks up to Jesus. He says, uh, he said that we're supposed to give him something to eat. We have scoured the area. This is what we got. We got these this two, two fishes and five, four loaves, one, two bites, Peter. Uh, yeah, you know Peter. And this is all we have. So now I think we need to Wrap it up. Okay, no more talking. Brain's full. And Jesus says, put them into groups of 50. Lord, we, we have a happy meal, but there ain't 50 happy meals over there. This is the only one. We only got the two loaves, and the, put them in groups of 50. So he goes back, and he says, what did he say? He's still preaching. I know. Uh, he said that we need to assemble them in groups of 50. And they're thinking Elijah, where he multiplies the loaves, you know, prays over them and stretches them. He's thinking, oh, that's cool. So they get him in groups of 50, and, and Jesus says, bring it here to me. And he brings it over, and, and Peter's the first one. It doesn't say that, but I think he is. He runs up, and he's got his partially eaten loaf. He's like, here, Lord, do it. Pray over it. Let's watch this thing expand. Go, baby. And the Lord takes the loaf, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. My body broken. Breaks it. Ask God's blessing. Breaks it. And then he hands Peter half of it. Peter's like, it's not expanding. And he says, now you go to your group of 50 and you give them something to eat, Peter. Peter walks with his 50 people in his loaf. Now, I know you guys. We've done this a couple times. We've learned our lesson. When we do a buffet, all-you-can-eat sushi, we apportion it to you. We're going to hand it to you. Because, like, the first six people that went through the line, they're like, meh. It's like leopard seals. Eating penguins whole. I've watched you. It's awful. So Peter's wise this way, and he's taking off a bit. There you go. There you go. And as he goes, the guy grabs a piece. Boom! He goes, hey, I'm hungry. And he gets down. The last guy's got a little crumb left. Sweat dripping off his forehead. There's a bunch of people left to feed. And all of a sudden, that little crumb goes, oh, Here, you get a bigger piece. Go and then. And it's just, meh, meh. And everybody gets fed 12 basketfuls. 
Interesting about that, 12 disciples, they each got to go home with a doggy bag. Right? Now, here's the principle. We're coming to the close of the message. Here's the principle. Especially when it says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. What am I teaching you? Faith. Apply it. You want to share good with me? Apply the faith. Here's how it works. You want your faith to multiply? Tithe. Tithe, yeah. What does that mean? That means return it to God and let Him bless it. They took what they had, they gave it to God, and He blessed it. What if they had taken the food and they didn't bring it to Jesus? They would have fed a few people and then they were out of food. They took it to the Lord and He blessed it. And then what? God puts it back in your hands as a steward and you distribute it. And you do it by faith. And it's going to put you on the edge. And you're going to look at your checkbook and you're going to think, I don't see how that works. That's called faith. I don't care about the amount. I care about the heart. You see, tithing is an issue of the heart. It's trust. You're walking out and God's blessed it. And a lot of you, God's blessed your life. But you keep it for yourself. If, if, they had, if they had brought it to Jesus and he blessed it and they didn't distribute it, they would have eaten it by themselves. Oh, you give a little bit here, you give a little bit there, and you, you tip the waitress and you tip God with your little thing on a Sunday. But you don't tithe. You, you, you don't operate in a context of faith. And so what the Lord is saying is, test me on this. Malachi, test me. You can't outgive me. And, and, and so the two principles are, one is you got to bring it to Jesus and he blesses it. And then secondly, it's your job to distribute it. He puts it in your hands to distribute it and you do it by faith. You do it by faith. And as you do that, what happens? It multiplies. I can have today, if we wanted, countless people come up here and talk about tithing and how God has absolutely transformed their life and blown their mind. At the end of first service, I had two people come up to me and tell me specific responses to the expansion of their life. This isn't a give and get sermon. This is a give and be transformed sermon. This is a faith issue. That's how you share all good things with those who instruct you. Apply it and grow in the Lord. I don't need your money. I want you to walk in faith. I want you to be set free from the fear of money. You're just holding it. You, 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 maybe Jesus blessed it, but you don't want to distribute it because you're afraid that you won't have enough. And guess what? You never will. There's never enough money to dispel your fear because your God is too small. When you give it away, then you see how big he is. And that's the call to Christ. The miracle didn't happen in the master's hands. It happened in the disciples' hands. God wants you to experience his miracles. You're the one who distributes it. 
Without blessing, there's no multiplication. You don't give a little here and a little there. You tithe. You return it to the Lord. Watch what he does. Two things. You can either return it or steal it. But when you return it, you grow. You mature. You watch as lives are changed. I close with this. Jesus was the Father's tithe. Firstborn. First fruits. Principle of the first. His firstborn son was a tithe to humanity that the remaining would be blessed. That you would come to Christ. When Jesus held up the bread in the multitudes and he broke it and gave thanks, he did that in the upper room when he held up the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken. He gave thanks to God that he would be the sacrifice to pay for your sins and mine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the overflow. This is the blessing of God that will cleanse you. As, as you're as red, red as scarlet, you'll be washed as white as snow. Your sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. You will never be able to outgive the efficacy and the power of the cleansing power of the blood of God. And Jesus thanked the Father as he gave his life and watched as humanity was washed. And the misery of the multitudes of the sins that had permeated every vestige of this world. Now the cleansing blood of Christ had been dispensed in faith. And your life was washed and renewed and transformed and your marriage has been healed. You've been delivered from drug addiction. That's the power of faith. You bring it to the Lord, he blesses it and he puts it in your hands to give it. Jesus, no man took his life, he willingly gave it. And what he did, he calls you to do. And that's communion. That's koinonia. We work together. You, I'm not asking you to give money. I'm asking you to operate in faith. That's how you share good things with those who instruct you. I am not interested in buildings. I'm in, 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 interested in transformed lives. I want to see men and women of faith. Now, let's test him. And I'll close with this last thought. I challenge you today. You keep track. You commit to tithing. One year. I've already had two people tell me God's blessed them amazingly. You commit to one year of tithing. One year. If at the end of that year, and you, you document it for me, and I'll see it as we do the registry. And I'm going to test your income if you want to test me on it. I'll prove it to you. One year. If you haven't been blessed and blown away and grown in your faith, I will give you your entire tithe back. You know what? I know, because God says, test me in this. I know I win. This is a no-brainer for me. And I'm asking you to share your faith. I'm instructing you, would you please apply it? Let's grow. We're no longer babes in Christ. We're mature. Let's operate that way. Amen? Let's take communion together. Father, thank you for your word and for this day. Lord Jesus, for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. You were the tithe of the Father. And we come to you this day to say, Lord, you laid your life down in faith. And so, God, we operate in the context of faith, not in fear, and we share all good things with those who instruct. And today we've received from your word that which you desire of our lives. And with joy, Lord, 
we share that good thing. We enter into that realm. We, we want to sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. We want to reap the joy of the Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon this fellowship. If there are folks in here who are struggling with that obedience, Lord, set them free. It's not about the money. It's about maturity. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon their lives and their families. Let them see the mighty hand of God move. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers will dismiss you by rows. You come down the side rows. They'll give you the cup. You grab the bread, gluten-free in the middle. You go back to your seat to the center aisle and uh, take communion at your leisure. Just remember the bread first and the cup second because the body had to be broken before the blood would be shed. And we'll just worship the Lord.